Welcome to CISO's Insiders Podcast, powered by GRC Consulting. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing leading CISOs and security leaders in the industry for light, eye-level conversations. Here, they share advice and tips, talk about their biggest accomplishments and failures, favorite drinks, key influencers, and much more. We encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, please check us out on social media. Okay, good morning, uh, Noah. Uh, it's, uh, it's nice to have you here on, on this episode of, uh, of CISO's Insiders. Um, so I believe you're the CISO of a company called Open Door, uh, and let me just share with you the the little uh, that I, I was able to gather online about you. So sure. it seems that you started off in the Marine Corps as a non-commissioned officer. You spent a bunch of years there. Maybe you could uh, sh- share a bit about that. Um, upon your uh, discharge, um, you continued to uh, into the cyber world. I believe you started off as a pen tester for uh, at least from what I remember, two different companies, two different large vendors. One, one, is, uh, one is called Coldfire, which is a very, it's a very big one now. I'm not sure if it was that big before. Uh, and, and, that was, and, and then you moved into an, a few other consulting positions. You held the role of a director and later on a VP of security engineering before landing your current role as the CISO of Opendoor. Maybe you could introduce yourself and provide some background about Opendoor as well, because I, I don't want to butcher anything here, so. Oh yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, you, you, you nailed it. I, uh, I found myself in my 20s as a kind of lost and directionless, joined the Marine Corps, did some, some fun stuff there and some, you know, it was an experience for sure. Then got out and uh, wanted a job where uh, maybe there's a little more safety, <laughs> relative safety, I guess, uh, and got into penetration testing. Um, yeah, learned everything I, in my initial stuff at Coal Fire. I was a pen tester. went from there to Accident Labs. was a pen tester there. Uh, did a lot of physical security, a lot of uh, incident response, forensics, um, application security, full tax team, full tax simulation, red teaming. Went from there to NCC Group. Uh, helped run that practice there, had a great time in NCC Group, then went from there to Datadog and uh, built out our infrastructure security practice and then uh, transitioned to our full-on security engineering practice where it had software development, um, application security, infrastructure security, all the everything kind of under one uh, bundle. And then I decided I was going to take a break, so I was going to take six months off work. Um, it turned out that didn't work out. It took more like two and a half months off work. I... Uh, I, you know, gave my, my notice and I was off on leave and, and relaxing. And then I came across this kind of interesting position and started talking to Ian, the CTO at Open Door. Uh, turned out like the team was seemed really great. The mission was awesome. Uh, I really liked Ian's approach in general. And then it just turned out to be a really good fit. Uh, so what, what Open Door does is that the, the idea of Open Door is that we're streamlining the whole like uh, home buying experience for individuals, right? Um, for a lot of people, buying a home is your single greatest financial transaction. It's like the most money you ever spend on something, right? And it's scary and it's hard and it's a really old process that has a lot of moving parts and is very complicated and has a lot of potential to go wrong. And so what Open Door does is create 
kind of a technology enabled solution that makes it simple and easy and kind of engages with um, the user on where they are, right? On their phone, at their home. You can do a lot of it, um, almost everything now remotely, especially with the advent of COVID. Uh, it's been, it's really like the goal is to make kind of, allow you to really be, uh, to live where you want to live and to like kind of take control of your own kind of realty situation when you're buying or selling homes and and to feel confident and safe when you do it. Cause it's really hard. I've bought and sold two homes now and uh, not with open door, but I kind of wish they were there because <laughs> it was pretty scary. Yeah. Okay, thank you for that. Thank you for the introduction. Uh, and usually at this stage, I like to ask a couple of icebreaker questions just to get our listeners to know you better. Uh, and, you know, just feel completely at ease if you want to answer those or not. Uh, but typically I ask about your marital status and about your favorite drink. Sure. Uh, marital status is I'm married. I have uh, three children. And uh, a wonderful extended family that I feel like, I feel community is super important. Uh, I've been married to my wife, Jess, for since 2009. So pretty long, pretty long run. Uh, definitely would not- Same for me, been, same for me. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I definitely would not be, uh, I would have no measure of the success that I have in my life if I wasn't for uh, a partner like Jess, for sure. And um, favorite drink, uh, root beer is definitely way high on the list. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a really big into root beer. Um, it's very delicious. I also enjoy normal beer <laughs> right? of, of all kinds. Um, and then I think, um, I think go to right now, as bad as it is, I drink a lot of sugar-free monster in my life right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, with three kids and a, and a CISA job and a, and a busy life, got to keep the, uh, the, the chemical motivation going for sure. Yeah, I, you know, I try to avoid those. Um, I used to drink. I like, did for a while. <laughs> yeah, I used to drink Coke for a long time, but then, you know, it just, um, I try to stick to water and, you know, personally, I, I'm a single malt uh, kind of guy. So, uh, but. Oh, cool. Yeah. You know. I also enjoy the single malt on occasion. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite things was <laughs> I had a situation as a consultant where I had a, a uh, individual who is very adversarial to me being there mm. uh, and he also was very very had very strong opinions about single malt in general uh so um you know i had, he was basically the defender and i was the attacker and i was very young in my career and i had been successful and so we sat down uh you know at this dinner and i intentionally ordered a uh single malt a very expensive single malt whiskey and coke um, as a, <laughs> I have since grown and am less spiteful in my life, I think, but yeah, that, that sounds like blasphemy to me, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, <it> totally is. <laughs> okay, let's, let, let's get started. Um, so I'm going to ask you, you know, a bunch of questions here that I usually ask, feel free to, you know, provide whatever answer that you, that you feel is, is, is most suitable to you. Uh, what's the one thing you wish you'd known when you begin your career? Well, um, I think I'm going to actually flip around and say that, like, um, I am very thankful that I knew very little because I think something that was a boon to me was approaching every situation with, like, really fresh eyes and no expectations. I feel like almost every time I've gone into a situation in my career with, like, a very strong expectation of what is going to happen, I have been unpleasantly surprised and it's turned out badly. I feel like whenever I go in with, like, 
no expectation. I'm just going to take it as it is, and I'm going to um, try to address the thing in its own right. I think things go off very well. I do think I wish I knew how really critical and important or how much easier my life would be if I learned any amount of software dev first, because I didn't actually get uh, you know, even like be able to like write code in any shape or form, probably until I was, you know, over a year and a half, two years into my career. And uh, I, I was able to muddle through. I was a little, uh, I wouldn't say I was a script kitty, but, you know, in my first year, I probably definitely was. And I think that if I, um, you know, in the time when the, first, the six months when I was trying to get a job in security, I would have known that I should be also learning to code during that period of time. I think that would have done me a lot better. Yeah, uh, especially back then, right? Because I think when I was involved heavily in application security, it probably was maybe 14, 15 years ago. And I think back then it was uh, a real uh, a real competitive edge if you had that. And, you know, personally, I didn't code as well. I, I you know, I started off as a consultant and then doing my bachelor degree, this is this was the first time I actually coded a bit, but it did provide a, a good background, I think. So uh, so I can understand, sure. understand what you're saying, yeah. I was spoiled a little bit in the beginning because, you know, 2011 was right kind of at like, Metasploit was at, you know, one of its really big peaks. Um, there was a lot of really great tooling coming out in a variety of ways. Uh, MS, um, like all like the past, the hash stuff was still really easily exploitable. Most environments were very Windowsy at the time. Uh, so you were able to get through a lot with just like knowing how to windows administration, which I knew pretty well, and, um, a little bit of PowerShell, uh, as you know, my career transitioned more towards like non windows stuff, uh, the need to be able to write and things like Python and go became much more pre prevalent and Java for sure. <laughs> Me and Java have a love hate relationship. Um, but yeah, for sure. I think that was the, you know, we go, my competitive edge really came from, I basically just like told myself that everyone was smarter than me and everyone had more experience than me. So my plan was I was just going to go to sleep two hours after everybody else stopped working. So I basically just worked longer and tried to brute force my way through things. And it worked, but it was pretty painful for the first couple of years of the learning. But as I got my skill set, you know, the need for me to work till 2 a.m., 3 a.m. kind of started to diminish. Yeah. And, and can you name like maybe, you know, uh, one big failure or uh or maybe a few smaller ones that, and and uh, and just uh and if you were able to take anything out of it what did you learn from it oh yeah uh i have uh, i'll say a lot that i uh, i learn a lot on my face right by failing and falling straight on my face right i like <laughs> learning on your face right um my brother also says that uh if you don't pay for stupidity you will keep buying Right. So, uh, you know, these lessons from failure are very important. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, one of the first big ones for me was, you know, in one of my very first reports I ever wrote uh, for uh, network pen testing, I conflated, I still didn't understand really the difference between a couple of different SSL vaults. And I uh, called out one that would have been very, uh, I, I basically like confused to one would have been incredibly bad uh, with one that was just like a total low. And I, so I put this like really flagrant critical in the report um, and then we delivered it to somebody. It didn't get properly vetted. And then we delivered it to somebody who really cared. <laughs> and I, you know, they cast disparaging thoughts on my company and, uh, you know, 
said I was basically a waste of skin, essentially, in you know much more professional ways, and and I got a lot of flack for it. And but it really drove home how important that report and the deliverable is, and how important the quality actually is, because I hadn't been exposed to it very much at that point. Um, and so that was that one. And then um, I think if you fast forward a little bit in my career, there was at least one time in maybe my like four or five years in where I had this idea that like I knew uh, how to, I knew what a pen test was going to look like before I even started doing the test. I like, I knew based on their environment stack, the bones I was going to find, how it was going to be, and it was going to be this way. And I basically like, you know, cold shotted this really important pen test. And I showed up and then it, it had all the stack I expected, but nothing worked the way it was supposed to work because these people actually knew how to do their job. And uh, I ended up looking like just a complete, you know, jerk bag to, to my, I uh, think I had to like basically eat my words, accept the crow. And then, uh, then I, you know, took a, a minute step back, reset myself to zero, went back into the same pen test and was successful. But, um, you know, that's one of those things where I think if you walk in with assumptions, you're setting yourself up for failure. And that's, uh, has stuck with me for quite a while. Yeah. And, you know, I think personally, being in the consultant world for probably 21 years now, I think the hubris that some people develop, uh, you know, I think that's the main reason to, to, to cause uh, these kinds of failures. Uh, and, and I think um, I think humility is, is a great trait. I mean, and the, sure. more, the more that you learn, the more that you understand, uh, like, how much you're still missing, right? Yeah, I'd say that, you know, I did, I, I always tell myself every time that, that, you know, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're sure you're in the wrong room. And so I would push myself to try to be humble and defer to other people and always ask for help and, you know, have no ego. And, but, you know, when you have a bunch of success happen all like rapidly, you get this feeling that, oh, maybe it's, you know, maybe I'm just way better than I give myself credit for. And that imposter syndrome starts to fade in the background just a little bit. Uh, and then you get smacked in the face by a two by four, <laughs> right? So, so uh, I think I've done, I've internalized that pretty well at this point in my career. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it comes with age as well. Sure. And maturity. Okay. Uh, and so uh, don't call me mature. Don't be a liar. <laughs> I definitely know that. <laughs> <laughs> so touching a bit about your failures, what would you say your biggest accomplishment were? Well, uh, there were a couple technical achievements that um, I was under NDA during, so I can't talk about them, but uh, they were very, very difficult. And they required me to do things like write code from scratch in languages I'd never written in and, um, and think about problems in very specific ways that went way outside the box of like normal linear pen testing thought and into like, you know, like, you know, when you're chaining a shell into some type of like, when you're like, I can't, well, just a lot of stuff, right? You know, you're writing code to like trigger some little function that then gets you a reverse shell and then lets you do another thing that lets you inject and then all these many, 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 many steps over the course of weeks. And um, those projects really stuck with me on like how like nothing is ever, um, nothing is really like ever exactly as it seems and all the best things are worth really hard work. Um, then going forward, I think the thing I'm actually most, the, my biggest successes uh, have nothing to do with my technical success, though those things I think taught me a lot. 
is that uh, my team, right? My teams. Anywhere I've been, the thing I pride myself most on is the team that I've contributed to and helped build. Um, at Acumont Labs, I helped build a training program that got a lot of uh, associate uh, pen testers in and then escalated. And a lot of those associate pen testers have now gone off to be very successful in their careers. And I feel like that's a good contribution to the community and that makes me feel successful. At NCC Group, I did the same thing. I took a lot of people who are application pen testers who didn't really do infrastructure very much or who are junior and I integrated them into infrastructure pen testing against very application dev focused environments. So let's just be very successful, but also help those people ramp up their careers and grow their skill sets. And they've gone off now and been very successful. I went to Datadog and I built what I think what has been a very successful, very healthy, happy team there. Uh, and those people are all doing very well in their careers and are happy and um, feel very engaged and have done really cool technical projects that have uh, contributed back to their, you know, portfolios. And then I hope to do the same at Open Door. So I think I think investing in your community around you, in my opinion, is the best thing you can ever do. And I think those are the greatest successes I've had for sure. Yeah, but you can only do that if the culture uh, in your company allows that, right? And and it's I'm going like, to disagree. Yeah. I'm going to say you can build your own culture, right? But but maybe I'm wrong, right? Maybe maybe some places are just so toxic that it doesn't work out. But I think I think you can um, I think you can put a stake in the ground and say that this culture, whatever company we're at, is problematic. We're going to build a good culture and security, and then we're going to extend those tendrils of good culture and good support out. We're going to be an example to the organization and we're going to spread through the org, right? I think security should be in general, a center of excellence, both for function as well as technical skill set, right? We should be, because your security team is usually pretty small compared to the rest of the org, which means you can really be very effective, right? So like you're, cause you have, so if you can be super effective, then it shows like, okay, well, we can take some of these lessons and we can grow them out, right? Um, I think I think it's I don't know. I I maybe I'm just an optimist, and you're probably much more of a you're probably much more realistic than I am about it. But I have this idea that like we can always make a difference. It's just how much pain we're willing to go through to do it. Sure. I mean, that's interesting, and you know, we could. Uh, I mean, I, I was just saying based on my experience, but uh, you know. No, yeah, yeah, for sure. as well. be, hopefully that didn't come off as rude <laughs> no not at all i mean just feel free uh you know if someone were to seek out a career similar to yours what advice would you give them uh go learn to code first <laughs> i think it's the, it's the first one and the second one is um i think you know i i spent a lot of time getting told that things weren't possible and that i didn't understand how things worked and then I went and got it to work the way that I needed it to work to achieve my goals. I think my biggest thing is that uh, everyone who gives you advice is giving you advice on their personal experience and you should totally take it and internalize it and listen to it and and you know uh, process it. But you have to make decisions to discount advice sometimes and blaze your own path. Uh, sometimes you're going to do that. And like I said, you're going to learn it on your face and it's going to turn out you were wrong and the advice you got was right. And then sometimes uh, you're going to turn out that, that you were that you were right and you're going to be better off for the experience that you go through. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's super important. I think a lot of people are either afraid, either they're, they don't take other people's advice at all or they're afraid uh, to not listen to the advice they give it. 
And so I think there's a middle ground that we have to strike to be highly successful. And I think, I think that striking that middle ground is what has made me successful in my career. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, <clears throat> what do you feel about the role of a CISO that's actually a part of the IT organization? If you could talk about the pros and cons. What do you mean? So, you know, a CISO could uh, report directly to the leadership. It could, uh, or it could be a part of the IT organization and then report to the CIO or a CTO. Do you have any thoughts about like the differences between the two approaches? Yeah, I, I'm of the personal opinion that in, in general, I think CISOs can be most effective if they're reporting to either a CTO, a CTO founder, right? Somebody who has a very strong foundational impact in the organization mm -hmm. or they themselves are essentially like a, at a tier level c level to the cto or uh, cfo etc right mm -hmm. um, i think those are the best i think that um, there are other ways that can be functional ultimately where cso fits in i think is really dependent on the company right it's got to fit in in such a way like at engineering organizations the thing i said is probably more right um, at some more like banking or other kind of uh, maybe financial organizations, it might look a little different. I think, I think though, the thing you want to avoid is there being a lot of filters between the expertise and the advocacy coming from your CISO and the people who actually sign the check or make the decision or accept risk for the org. You want to remove as many barriers between the communication as possible. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um... Can you name a few uh, resources that have helped you along the way? Well, you know, early on, uh, they were things like um, uh, Colonel Colonel Ponage's uh, um, blog, which is like Colonel Ponage's, like uh, you know, um, it was all hacking walkthroughs early on, right? And I know that he's gone off and done a bunch of other engineering stuff, and I'm sure he's got much more robust content, um, but. You know, there's a bunch of those people early on who were writing a bunch of like the initial hacking blogs, right? Bob Fuller, just uh, um, Bravo Hacks, Pure Hate, just all these people that were, you know, you know, include cool hacker sign here, uh, Kali Linux, right? Like the 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 whole like offsec stuff around that, and that whole community was super helpful early on. I think as I grew um, and moved into other parts of my career. The things that um, were much more or really impactful to me were more things like um, I've watched a lot of masterclass. <laughs> you know, I've I've read a lot of things about like um, leading in difficult situations and um, about just people's really like robust life experience. And I think those things, I think, add um, a lot, right? Like things like autobiographies and that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. So it sounds to me like you're, uh, you know, similarly to many others, you're a self-learner. So you, you used a lot of time and resources to, to learn online by yourself. Uh, but can you name like a few people that you would consider as mentors or, you know, just... Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple. Um, uh, so at my very first job, I met a gentleman named Sean Malone. He was definitely my very first security mentor. Um, also in the same time, my, and he's now, he's now picking up, I think, uh, his own, uh, security leadership role at the company he's at currently. And so he's a great dude. Um, he really helped me. He, he was always this weird 
uh, middle ground between very buttoned up and also like incredibly good pen tester, which I always think of like a, you know, more like dirty hacker when you think pen testers, right? But he was always like, you know, very well put together, very business savvy, but incredibly technical. And so uh, from there, um, uh, a gentleman named Mark Rogers, who's instrumental in me moving forward in my career at all. Um, he His face shows up on the news occasionally, and he's a, a dear friend and a, just a really great mentor for sure. And then uh, there's a couple others, Andrew Becker, uh, current CISO at Iterable, Dave Goldsmith, the CTO at uh, NCC Group, um, or CISO, sorry, not CTO, ha, <laughs> or maybe he's more. <laughs> I think he is the CTO, actually. I think I got his title wrong. Um, but Dave Goldsmith, great dude. Um, just uh, the number of people I think is very large because I feel like um, I'm of the opinion that the more you invest in others and the more you're willing to be invested in, the more help you ask for, the more you're open to hearing other people, the better things get. And so I've just got a ton of people, I think, in my life who have been massive contributors. Um, Martin Boss from uh, Trusted Sec, uh, Eric Milam, um, he jumps around a lot, but um, all people who taught me a lot growing up is in the pen testing community. John Ventura, one of my staff engineers at Datadog, who was also my first manager at Acumont. Um, so yeah, I mean, a lot, there's a lot of them. Kara Marie, who worked for me at Datadog, who was also one of the people who taught me uh, really the fundamentals of security research. Uh, and NCC Group, she's a great security researcher and offensive security professional. Um, yeah, just a lot of a lot of people for sure. Mm -hmm. Sorry, that was a long list, but I feel like it's not. <laughs> I feel like I could go on for hours. Yeah, and and actually, you know, this brings me to my next question, and you might have touched on that as well already. Uh, my next my next question is, what other CISOs do you look up to? And I think you did mention a few names. I, I said a little bit, yeah. yeah. So uh, uh, Andrew Becker for sure. Um, uh, he's, he's a good friend and also he's been there with me, you know, teaching me stuff along the way for quite a lot, long time. Um, so, uh, Mark has gone back and forth between the CISO role and other roles and advisory. So I definitely include Mark Rogers in that as well. Um, and then, um, you know, I, I'd say there are there are quite a lot of other CISOs that are doing really great jobs. There's also some like CEOs and CTOs that I think, you know, like I said, Dave Goldsmith, but also uh, Joel Wallenstrom. These are people who, you know, the way they approach things, uh, he's uh, at Wicker, right? And so the way they approach things are, um, I think, really impactful and instrumental with the way that we think, that I would like to think about both doing business and security. Uh, great stuff, and I'm sure they will appreciate the, the kind words. Uh, what's the one common myth about your profession that you want to debunk? I think that, uh, well, I mean, there, there's one that I think is starting to go away, and I, I, I like to say, oh, you know, we can debunk it, but I think it's already getting debunked, but is that for a long time, I think the role of CISO was seen as uh, surprisingly non-technical, right? It was uh, legal and paperwork and risk, right? And I think that's true today. But I think as in the modern kind of like software development organization, you also have to be able to have those deeply technical conversations with your team uh, and also with your engineering partners and be able to be in the room and not just have your eyes gloss over as they're talking about the tech stack they're working on. And I think that's been a push. Yeah, but you know, that's an interesting point. And, and let me ask you a follow-up question if I may. 
uh, sure. because if you're a CISO for a very large uh, enterprise, let's say, I mean, you have uh, directors that that uh, that are subordinates to you, and you know they might be technical because you know at some point, I think, I mean, personally, I think, and I might be wrong here, uh, you might not be able to hold all those capabilities and you know be able to be business savvy and be technical and you know know about code and know about infrastructure know about kubernetes and and whatever the the domain of expertise might be i mean you can't possibly know it all right yeah it's true you can't know it all uh, i think you have to be willing to say when you don't know things but you also have to be willing to put in the time in my opinion to do the pre-reading and research and you should have the technical fundamentals right in my, I'd say in my in the vein of CISO that like I'm in, right, where I'm like, you know, primarily focused on software engineering organizations. If you're a bank or something else, it's probably a completely different story, right? Like there's more, much more in the legal area, those kind of things that you probably don't need to be technical at all. But I, I think that like, if I know I'm going to go sit down with um, uh, an infrastructure engineer and talk about the security risks of potentially adopting a new technology around Kubernetes, right? And I go into this conversation and I'm just asking questions and don't understand the fundamentals of the technologies we're working with, right? Uh, on a way that I can then kind of like start really picking apart questions and really trying to understand what the risk is. I think I'm gonna be entirely dependent on my directors and, and ICs for any feedback, right? I think though that that puts a lot of weight on our directors and ICs to the terms of sometimes they need some space and time to go be doing more like to be do like actually executing. And so I think the more that a CISO can be a design partner or can be have an opinion in a complex engineering conversation is the more time you open up for your ICs to go really pursue that technical excellence and push those things. So you're right. I mean, eventually I think it gets away from you, but I think you can hold on to it. And at least you can stay, I think, savvy enough and associated enough that you can have the conversation without being totally left in the loop. Uh, well, you don't necessarily have to be a specialist. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, and you know, this might, I mean, you might have touched on this uh, with this last answer about my next question, uh, but maybe you could uh, give your take about the main concerns that CISOs nowadays have. Yeah, I mean, so and I, I think we'll, if I can drill down, I, I think I've alluded to this a lot, but I think there's a lot of different types of CISOs, right? There's ones that are more like, uh, you know, they're private, they're, you know, federal investigators who became, or lawyers who then got into technology and security and are now more operating in terms of like, you know, pure risk, legal, uh, loss prevention, all those kind of things. And there's um, people like me who have more have a technical background, who've gone through so like software engineering and focus on software engineering companies. I'm not a software engineer, but I've spent a lot of time around it, right? Um, and I think the things that are concerns for me uh, and for CISOs in the area, right, are uh, vendor risk, I think is always going to be a problem, a concern, especially as the vendors become more and more uh, providing like critical infrastructure, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have AWS and stuff now, but now you have like things like Snowflake, which is amazing, but you're now like having a, all your data warehousing is just living outside of your bounds of control, right? Um, so there's a variety of those kind of things that are becoming more and more prevalent. So the vendor risk is becoming less and less about like, I have risk and I've offloaded a little vendor risk to this vendor, but to the fact that like a vendor may represent like, you know, a very large majority of the risk to the organization period. <laughs> and they're just, they happen to be over here in a black box. And so you have to do your best to understand those things. So vendor risk for sure. 
And then I think uh, team health, right? The way the team integrates with the organization and the way the team both appears to the organization and also feels internally about how they're doing and feeling engaged and supported. Yeah. I think those are the thing on, on the CISO's mind right now. Those are very important. There's a lot of other stuff, obviously, but. Definitely. And, you know, personally, I think vendor risk, uh, it's actually easier to, to handle because you have compliance that you can, that you can employ to, to mitigate some of that risk, but team health that that's, you know, that that's different. This is like something yeah. that you need to build. It's a culture and you need to maintain it and yeah, you need to, 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 to put a lot of effort into it basically. For sure. Absolutely. It's definitely, I think, you know, it's P zero for me because I think everything else comes after that. Yeah. Okay. Now a quick question about uh, how you could potentially help me. If you could step into my shoes as the CEO, uh, do you have like any, you know, and it doesn't have to be specifically about me, obviously, if you could put yourself in instead of a vendor, is there any, any question that you feel that uh, you would ask yourself or any, any, anything that you would avoid doing when engaging with a prospect? I think um, it goes back to the thing I said, like, don't make assumptions, right? Don't assume they're going to have time to talk and don't assume that um, they're even going to respond, right? Um, I am notoriously bad. I don't respond to vendors basically at all until I need, until I have a need or it's like, it's on my roadmap. And then what I do is I take all of the emails and content I've read and things of the vendors and I go back and then I reach out and I start figuring out what's what and what's quality. Um, I think any assess like assumption like that, uh, you know, getting someone just like throwing a, a invite on my calendar that I've never met or talked to from an external company, those kind of things, those kind of assumptive behaviors, I think are like the most painful or detrimental to a relationship. Yeah, you know, and and that's interesting because I think I'm I'm the same. You know, I get tons of LinkedIn requests and a lot of you know meeting invites and and stuff like that, and I never respond. But then if I do need something, I would look. I would go back to my LinkedIn messages and I would look for something there. And you know, then you ask yourself the question, okay, but I wouldn't have known about that. Uh, if if I hadn't re respond, if I hadn't received this at some point in time, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. So, so that, and you know, and I think that gets tricky because on one hand, you, you, you don't want the noise that you get right now, but on the other hand, if you don't get it, you won't be able to go back and, and look for it. Right. So, so, so yeah. I think for me, maybe, uh, maybe, you know, if a vendor is able to stand out in the crowd, so when the, the when the time is right, you can reach out to him, but that's just for me. Right. I agree. I think you're totally right. I think the thing I don't like though, is when like, I'll get an email from a vendor and it'll say like, um, uh, Hey, I've sent you three emails and you haven't responded yet. Right. Like that's yeah. not a way to, that's not going to prompt me to respond. Right. Mm -hmm. But sending me one really good quality put together uh, email and just leaving it at that and understanding that I will get back to you, I think is important. Um, though I did get one, one time that was really awesome. Uh, I had a vendor who I didn't end up doing any work with. But she sent me a video um, about uh, persistence because I had a tagline at the time that was like talking about how important persistence and and you know not giving up and stuff was important to me. And she had watched all my like talks and stuff I'd done and like quoted to me and like uh, had this whole spiel about her level of persistence and her journey and then her product. And it prompted me to get on a phone call with her, right? And and to like talk and really to learn about and really explore whether or not I wanted to work with that vendor. 
Um, so I, there is definitely something to said about like going above and beyond, but I think yeah. like there is a very thin line to walk. Yeah, because she, she put into the she put her time and effort into really properly, like conducting a real research about you, right? And I think yeah, that's what sure. prompted you to to reach out. Okay, that's, yeah, that's fair. Um, are there any types of self pitches that that you think? Uh, I mean, and I think you just alluded to that, right? But. Yeah. Any other pitches um, uh, vendors should should avoid, in your opinion? I just think any time where you're either uh, casting dispersions or defaming anybody else, like saying negative things in general, mm. and then also I think um, making assumptions about time and people's you know interest, uh, as well as like you know um, yeah, what I and and uh, maybe I'm this I just don't I just have a really pro big problem with cold calls. Um, I try to be gentle about it now. I was at one point less gentle. I try to be gentle about it in terms of, I get a cold call, I let them know I don't take cold call. However, they're welcome to send me an email with their content and I'll reach out to them. But the other thing is, I think one thing that the flip side is, is I'm always totally open to meeting up in person, having a coffee or a drink or a conversation if we're both at a shared locale, like a conference or something, and not with anyone having to buy me anything or anything like that. Just like if you want to get together and have an honest human to human conversation about your product and things going on, I would much rather that than a phone call or email. Yeah. Obviously, time is finite though, but yeah, of course. And, and you know, uh, I'm also a, a believer in personal relationships, so uh, I, I can relate to that. And that's actually, you know, that's a great answer. I don't think I've had that before on my next question, my next question on how can vendors connect to you in a non-intrusive manner. So I, I'm just assuming that, you know, an in-person uh, at a conference type of uh, coffee or anything informal like that, you know, just having a one-on-one -on -one discussion an eye level discussion, I'm assuming that's the best way, right? That is the answer, yeah. Oh. So if you know, if there's a conference coming up, say RSA, obviously right now, we're not doing conferences yeah. right now, but let's say RSA, DEF CON, Black Hat becomes a thing again. Send me an email, say, hey, uh, I'm gonna be here. We're gonna be doing a thing, you know, or yeah, I don't, it doesn't need to be a party invite or anything, anything crazy. It's just, hey, I'm gonna be in town these times. I'd like to talk to you about a product. If you have time, would you like to grab a cup of coffee, right? Great. Yeah, let's do it. But I have time. I will totally do it. I usually have busy schedules during those conferences, but I totally will. I think that is the the least intrusive way, the the highest likelihood for me to get back to you. Um, and then I do have a couple biases, right? I guess I'll I'll tip this as a, like um, I think I have a really hard time uh, saying uh, like refusing to interact with someone who is either like brand new and is like just trying to like prove themselves in the first go because i'm like a big fan of the underdog and uh also uh vets so if you're like a brand new vet and it's your first sales job and you're worried you're going to make your quota totally hit me up i will definitely chat that. i can't yeah. guarantee i'll buy anything but we will have a conversation <laughs> okay no that that's that's great advice especially for for the appropriate vendors uh okay new vendors were also vets nice <laughs> i mean that that's a little bit of a joke but more it's just like in general it's people who are just starting out in their careers i will always take much more time for people who are junior in their career than the people who are veteran because the junior people just need that investment more than the veteran people mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well and, and i think that's admirable that you're that you're willing to mentor or, i mean partially mentor them that's yeah yeah I, I try to you know it's something i think we all have to give back Okay, uh, so 
what's what's the best uh, way for our listeners to connect to you online um i mean so i don't maintain much of an online interactive presence uh all my hobbies and things i do uh involve either my family or um i have some personal hobbies that don't involve computers at all so the best way is i'm on twitter uh at domo do good you can search me up no no but so i'm on twitter um uh, any basic OSINT will probably find you my email addresses. So feel free to spin up uh, the social engineers toolkit and go find those. Um, and then um, other than that, conferences are good. Uh, I'm on Instagram, but mostly I just post a bunch of stuff about model painting. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the best one is probably Twitter. That's kind of I reserve for more like uh, professional technical interaction and that kind of stuff. Okay. And LinkedIn. LinkedIn's great. You can hit yeah. me up on LinkedIn. Yeah, that was my follow-up question here. Okay, great. Uh, cup. Okay, before we wrap this up, well, I just ask. I'm just going to ask you a couple of uh, of last questions here. Uh, if you had unlimited funds, what would you do with your life? Uh, nothing involving security whatsoever. I love I love security, but security keeps me is. The reason I'm in security is not because I am specifically passionate about security on like some like fanatical level. It's just that it's a job that is always interesting, exposes me to great people. It's uh, it means something. It's meaningful, so I like doing it. Um, if I was going to, if I had infinite funds, I would probably spend a majority of my time either like running some type of community centric organization, like a community center or something, where um, we could do like you know, like a hacker space or a gaming space, uh, or I would spend my time with my family or in the woods, really. On a beach is a nice place too, <laughs> right? Okay. Uh, yeah, sounds about right. Um, and uh, one final question. Have you read or listened to anything lately that have inspired you and you'd like to share? Um, read or listened to anything that really inspired me? Um, I have been seeing that Elon Musk quote along right now. I won't say it because it involves swearing, but, um, there's that one that's like, you know, optimism, pessimism, pessimism, we're just going to get it done. Uh, <laughs> I don't really listen to Elon Musk, but I see that quote every, occasionally and it's been pretty, uh, pretty emboldening to me, uh, especially, you know, and being a new CISO at an organization, like figuring out the work that needs to get done. Um, and then honestly, like the things that have actually, like, this is going to sound pretty cliche. But actually listening to my kids so like my i have a, a seven-year-old and a five-year-old and an 18-year-old and if you ever want to have pure unadulterated honesty talk to an 18 seven-year-old or five-year-old girl <laughs> and they will tell you exactly how it is uh and so there's been a lot of like you know working with them on different things and then like you know learning stuff a school, but also like them commenting, like overhearing me on a call and then, then making a comment to me afterwards, like, Ted, you were a jerk. Like, oh yeah, maybe I was, <laughs> right? And then have, so, I mean, that's really, I know that's not probably the same answer, but I'd say listen to those around you, especially the people who you think opinions might not be hyper relevant because they're probably gonna see something you don't see. Yeah, yeah, and and I, and I have to agree. I mean, it's amazing, like the, the, the number of times I, I, I heard like, specific comments from my kids and you know and like was able to ingest them and and just uh, think about them and and reflect that that's amazing and uh, and you know i think my daughter she asked me a few weeks ago what's a black box and what's a gray box and what's the difference between <laughs> but uh, because she overheard me as well 
Um, but anyway, uh, I want to be respectful of your time. Sure. And, uh, and uh, um, I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to, to, to jump on this quick podcast with me. And yeah, yeah I'm, 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 I think we got uh, some great answers here and uh, hopefully we'll be able to provide some great insights to our listeners. And, and let me just thank you again for taking the time and, and joining this podcast. Of course. Hey, thank you so much for having me. We really appreciate it. Um, yeah, this is great. I think there needs to be more stuff like this. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure.